0: Well, um, I want to have you uh, get ready, but while you're turning over there, if you haven't gotten to 2 Corinthians 4 yet, uh, let me tell you that today, Adam Price, obviously, you saw our lead worship. I, I love, yeah, let's. I love the fact that God redeems and God restores and God renews, right? Now, here's the thing that we're actually, I I know this is a little bit sad, but I got to tell you, it's also exciting. God has brought this process along in Adam and Sherry and their family's life in such a way uh, that Adam, well, this is going to be his last Sunday with us. He is going to be going up north to be with Rick Stedman and to be the worship pastor up there. And uh, so I am really excited for that. All of us who have been part of a team of watching God work in his life to restore have just been so excited to see this point come. And so tonight he'll be leading worship, and it'll be a time we're going to pray over him and the family and ask God to really go with them. Uh, Adventure's an amazing church. Uh, It's a sister church of ours. And so we feel like we're just continuing on in ministry together. Uh, And so they'll be here tonight. I encourage you to come back. Uh, We'll be studying in the Word, but we'll also be having a time of worship and then prayer for them. By the way, Adam also did a CD that talks about his restoration journey. And if you'd like to grab one of those, they're out in the lobby today. And, and uh, it, I think the songs, if you uh, know anything about the stories, you listen, you go, wow, God did something here in an amazing way. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you not only restore, you not only redeem, but Lord, you renew us. And I pray that we would understand when we grab hold of what it means to truly know you in a very authentic way, And to live this life with you in an authentic way, God, it is something that causes day by day, moment by moment, an experience of you to to, literally do amazing things in our heart, mind, all the way to the depths of our soul. And I ask right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. Awaken us, Lord, more and more to you and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you heard about the guy that went to the doctor and he's sitting there and the doctor walked in. The doctor said, well, I've got some news for you. You're going to die. The guy was shocked, and he looked at him and said, when? The doctor goes, I don't know. We're all going to die someday. (laughs) I think that's funny. But anyway, uh, have you ever been in a place where you thought you might die? Twice in my life, I have literally been in a situation where I genuinely believed I was going to die. One was just a split second of knowledge, thinking it was about to happen in a car accident I was in, but I really, really thought I was going to die. Another time, I was on a plane that really almost went down, and uh, it was being bounced around as we were going into, and and I, it, uh, it was one of those moments where we all thought we were going to die. And here's the shocker to me: uh, I wasn't afraid. Now, I don't say that uh, vainly or proudly. Uh, I want you to know that, you know, I'm one of those people, I really have to say, God, you know, give me courage because it's got to come from him. Uh, I, I, we used to live in a house that had sliding closet doors, and, and man, I would look at that, and if it was open that much, I was like, oh, no. And I'd say, Pam, go shut. <laughs> you know. And uh, so, but what happens when you come into contact with God is you get this amazing courage. Now I want you to grab hold of that, because what we're talking about, if you haven't been with us, is what is authentic Christianity? What is the real thing? And Paul actually lays it out for us in this incredible letter to the Corinthian church called 2 Corinthians. And he begins to let us know that one part, one part of this is a, a courageous heart and mindset where we do not lose heart no matter what's occurring around us. And look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, therefore, and he says, therefore, because the grace of God abounds to us and abounds to others. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man, and keep, catch this, is being renewed day by day. We don't lose heart. Uh, we never allow ourselves to get beaten down. We never lose perspective. Why? Because one of the marks, and we saw this a few weeks ago, of uh, uh, being an authentic Christian is unquenchable optimism. I mean, somehow, some way, we just in faith know God's going to do amazing things. It's also unvarying success. We know we will in the end triumph no matter what we're facing in a moment. So what does he say here? He says it for the second time. I want you to know that if you really know Jesus and you're really living this life, you do not lose heart. You do not lose heart. Now, I want you to notice in verse 16, he says, we don't lose heart even though certain things are happening. Even though the, the outer man is decaying, even though our bodies might have been taking a beating through a, a tragedy or, or through sickness or, or through age, and even though we see that happening, he says, you know what, it doesn't matter what's happening in the outer man, in our bodies, we just don't lose heart. Now, at my age, I'm reading this verse a lot differently than some of you are. Uh, you know why? It's because my body is going. I am getting old. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had to get glasses a few years ago. And I don't know if you've heard, they say there's three ways you know you're getting old. The first thing is, is your vision goes. The second is, your memory goes. I can't remember the third. Uh, I have a friend and uh, he was going to turn 50. And I love this guy. But I got to tell you, he was taking it hard. And his wife kept saying, honey, it's just a number. It's just the age. He said, no, it's half a century. And, and he just started acting old, and she thought, I can't believe this. And as his birthday approached, uh, Cherie, uh, his wife, decided David, our friend, needed to be pepped up. So she said, I want you on your birthday. I've got a special plan for you. So she took him out to one of the places they had gone to when they had dated and, and wanted to kind of revive that mindset of being young. And then they got done with dinner, and they got in the car, and she goes, okay, you know where we're going? He said, no. She goes, Glendora Mountain Road. And he said, what? She goes, yeah, when we were younger. And so they drove up to Glendora Mountain Road and they parked. And, and she thought, I want to remind him that he's not as old as he thinks he is. And so they start kissing. And uh, and you know, they're making out up there, but all of a sudden a big light comes on the car. <laughs> and he's laughing. Oh my gosh, it's a cop. And so the cop comes walking up with the flashlight, and he steps up to the window and he goes, Oh, you're old. <laughs> Yeah, he really felt old after that. (laughs) Uh. But you know what is is in our lives we begin to change and I know some of you are younger but I want you to know if the Laird we all go through this and uh, when I was younger I I had a life verse it was first Peter 2 21 where it says for uh, it says for you have been called for this purpose because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you would follow in his steps and, and that was my life verse for a long time and about midway last year with all the things we were going through here and and God kind of reminding me who I was my life verse has changed. And and I love this passage, it's in Psalm 71, 17 and 18, and I skipped to 21, and it says this, it's one I've been able to grab hold of, it says, oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And oh God, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, till I've declared your strength to this generation and your power to all who are to come. Now, when I grabbed that verse, I thought, God, you know what? I have known you since I've been young. And now that I'm older, I love you more. i have never been close to you, uh, closer now. And I want to keep telling people about you. I want this generation that's coming to know. I want to proclaim it. And so I'm so excited about this verse. And I was sharing it in the office a couple of weeks ago. And I looked over and Natalia looked at me and I said, what? And she goes, I don't ever want that to be my verse. She goes, I don't want to be old like you. Which is why I stuck her in the picture last week. Yeah, she paid. But the reality is is God says, you know what? Some of us are gonna get older, some of us are gonna face other things. And and here's the point, are you ready? When you really know Jesus, it doesn't really matter. It, God says, even if it's age, if it's, it's your body wasting, or it's sickness that hits you younger, or finances turn on you, all the outward things, no matter how they hammer you, something inside is just always being renewed. Now, I want you to think about that. Because notice what he says here is it's not you get renewed when you come to know the Lord, although that does happen. He says you get renewed day by day. Do you see that in verse 16? He says it doesn't matter because we're being renewed day by day. Now, now I want to really key in on this. If you really know the Lord, it's not about, okay, I believe he's out there. It's experiencing him on a daily basis. Experiencing his love. Experiencing his renewal. Uh, we're renewed day by day. In Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, it says, what is that renewal like? It says, God gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might. He increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous, young men stumble badly. It says, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up like wings of eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. That's what it means to know the Lord. And it's something you and I should say right without a shadow of doubt. God, this is what it's like to know you. Now, how does this renewal happen? It happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 says, God saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Uh, God renews us day by day by the power of the Spirit. He also renews us in another way. Now grab hold of this. He renews us uh, through the coming to know the true knowledge, the true experiential knowledge and informational knowledge of who Jesus is. The more we tie into that, the more we're renewed by the power of spirit working. Colossians 3.10 says, We have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And it goes on to talk about Jesus. So as I and as you live life day by day with God, the power of the Spirit comes in us, and when we take the knowledge of who uh, Jesus is in us, it starts changing us. Now, here's what I want you to grab hold up. Being a Christian is not about information. It's about transformation. God wants to transform you, and you ought to find yourself changing and being renewed daily as God begins to work with you and through you. Romans 12, 2 says, and do not Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God's great desire is that we would understand that. So Paul says, I don't lose heart. You know why I don't lose heart? You know why I don't get down no matter what's happening outside me and circumstances? The reason I don't is because God's renewing me daily and I see it happening. Now, another thing is, you ready? We do not get down, and this is huge, because we know the benefits that are being produced. Look what it goes on to say in verse 17. It says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, grab hold of that. He says, momentary light affliction. Now, have you ever asked what Paul thought was momentary light affliction? And and any of you know about Paul? Later on, if you actually your Bibles, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's going to actually talk about this momentary light affliction. And look at verse 23. He says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. Now, notice these light afflictions he has. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers amongst false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, and I've been in cold and exposure apart from such external things. There is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? That's what Paul calls light affliction. I don't know, being beaten 39 times one time, I wouldn't consider light affliction. He had a three. Being stoned almost to death. Shipwrecked out on the sea. I mean, Paul says, you know what? But every time these things happen, he goes, you know what I found? It always produced in me the eternal weight of glory. It always caused something to happen that was beyond me that I couldn't even imagine. And what you understand when you study church history is this isn't just Paul. The early Christians who were tortured, who were barbecued, who were crucified, who were frozen to death, who were beaten, who were put in the arena with animals and put in the arena with gladiators, who were used as human torches to light Nero's gardens. What did we find from them again and again and again? This amazing, unquenchable optimism. The speaking of God who does incredible things. And and we see the testimony ringing through the ages of all those who really knew God. And he says, even though we get hit with this, why do we not lose heart? We don't lose heart. Why? Because of the incredible benefit that comes our way. The eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. You and I know that when you get in this kind of times, what does God do? He purifies you. One reason God doesn't shield you through tough things. One of the reasons he doesn't stop you is because it makes you better. It makes you stronger. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. In this, in trials, you greatly rejoice, even though for a, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him you love him and though you do not see him now but you believe in him you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul he says you know what happens Peter says when you're put into these fiery trials these intense times it just makes you better Paul says it produces in us the eternal weight of glory. It changes us in an amazing way. So suffering is not something we're shielded from. Something at times we need to embrace. Tough times, decaying of our body, anything like this. And God says, you know what I do? I make you better. When Constantine had given his life to Christ and actually turned the whole Roman Empire over to Jesus, he discovered that there was a man who had been in prison for years for being a Christian. And he ordered this man to be brought to him. All those years of imprisonment, he had been chained to a big, huge, uh, heavy uh, iron ball. And, And when the ball was brought in and all his chains were brought in, Constantine said to him, I want that weighed. And how much ever the ball and chains are, I'm going to give you that much in gold. The very weight of the chains he bore produced in him later amazing wealth and riches. And in a a better way, an amazing way, God says, you know what? You just went through a tough trial. I'm going to make you better. I'm going to produce in you in direct proportion to what you've been willing to go through with joy, with me, letting me renew you in it. I'm going to make you better and stronger. That's what God does. And here's the amazing thing. As we begin to embrace that and see it happening, we just go, Lord, this is awesome. Now, again, I don't want to keep going back, but I got to tell you, last year was one of the toughest years of my life, but it was the best year of my life. I've never loved life more. I've never been closer to God. I've never rejoiced more in what he's done. And you know what? I wouldn't want to trade that for anything. And why? It's because that's how God works. Uh, I want to recommend a book to you. It's called The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. It's an incredible book uh, that talks about why we should believe not only in the Lord, but in, in Jesus. And I think he has just got an incredible insight here. But in one of the chapters where he asks, how could a good God allow suffering? How could a good God allow this to happen? I mean, he addresses it in an amazing way. But let me tell you part of what he hits. And and part of what he brings up is this, is that Jesus allows these things to happen in part, not in totality, in part, because he ends up bringing an amazing renewal that when we begin to experience it, it causes us to have a deeper joy and a greater love for him. And the whole idea is when you're without something, you enjoy it more when you get it. Uh, an easy example of that is uh, all of us who diet, I'm back on my diet, and some of you might be on a diet too. I mean, when I, I, I was at uh, uh, California Pizza Kitchen the other night, and I looked over, and they had red velvet cake. Do you think I enjoyed it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. More than many of you would because I'm on a diet. And uh, you know what? When, when you've gone through real suffering, And then God all of a sudden intercedes and blesses. What you get out of it's incredible. As a matter of fact, there's a Greek word for that. It's pelangenesis. And, and, and it says this, it says, I tell you the truth, at the renewal, the Pelagonesus of all things, the Son of Man will sit on his throne. That's in Matthew 19, 28. One day, Jesus is going to renew all things, everything in heaven, everything in earth. And when that happens, all of a sudden, we're going to look around, and while we may not understand it now, then we'll understand even better why he allows evil and hurt and suffering. Why he allows it. Uh, uh, one of the things that, that Tim Keller brings up is in, The uh, movie and in the book, The Lord of the Rings, they come to the end, and I'll even read the quote. He says, just after the climax of the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, Sam Ganji discovers that his friend Gandalf was dead, who was not dead as he thought, but alive. He goes, I thought Gandalf was dead, but he's not. He's alive. He cries out, quote, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to become untrue? And the answer of Christianity to that question is unequivocally yes. When you get to heaven, everything that was sad will become untrue. God is going to take and renew it in an amazing way. And here's the exciting thing. We begin to experience that on a day-by-day basis with Jesus constantly. As he renews us. It's not that we're shielded from tough times. It's that those things work into us in eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. Because that's what happens when you're in an authentic Christian relationship with Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this about it. He says, they say of temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven... Once attained, will work backwards and turn every agony into an amazing glory. That's what happens when you're a believer. And we experience it now, day by day. In heaven, we'll experience it in all the fullness. And God says, I am going to cause all of this to work in your life in an amazing, incredible way. And that's why in James chapter 1, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We don't lose heart. Why? Because we see the benefit and we trust in the benefit. And we're excited to know that every time an amazingly tough thing comes, even the most tragic situation, God does not, by the way, cause all these things. But God says, I will cause them to work for good in a way you can't even understand. And I've seen that happen time and time again in the most amazing ways because God's an amazing God. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight says we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. God somehow does all that if you love him and if you live your life according to his purpose. Now we don't lose heart because you know what even if our outer man's the king we don't lose heart because we see the benefits of it. But you know what else we do not lose heart because we in the end who are followers of Christ we know what really matters and we know what really lasts. Look at 2 Corinthians four eighteen. While we look not on the things which are seen, but on the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If you know the value of something, it changes your perspective completely. I don't know if you ever heard about the guy who uh, owned a cafe and he was behind the counter and in came a guy who looked homeless. And he sat down on a stool and he said, "Uh, I'd like to order one of your breakfasts. And the owner looked at him and said, not unless you can show me you're going to pay. I don't think you have the money. The guy looked at him and said, you know what, I I don't have the money. But if I show you something truly amazing, can I have a free meal? And uh, the guy said, sure. So the homeless guy reaches in his pocket, pulls out a hamster, sets it down. The hamster stands up on two legs, bows down, runs over to a piano that's in the cafe and starts playing the piano. And it's amazing. And it's not just beating It's like this amazing song. And the guy's standing there, and everybody stops and gasps. And then he hits the ending, and everybody in the place is applauding. And the owner said, whatever you want, it's yours. And he serves the meal. Well, later on, the guy comes back at lunch, and he said, I'd like a lunch and a dessert. And the owner said, ah, you got to show me something else truly amazing. He said, I've got something else. Takes out the hamster, hamster bows, runs over, he takes out a frog, sets the frog down. Hamster starts playing a song. Frog stands up, and starts singing an amazing, amazing thing, and everybody's like, "Oh!" And they're all cheering when it's over. Well, he goes, "You have whatever you want." So he serves the food. A guy gets up, walks over to the guy, the homeless man, and looks at him and says, "I'll give you four hundred bucks for the frog." Homeless guy goes, "You got a deal!" And the owner's like, "What?" And and, and he takes the four hundred, hands over the frog. The guy walks out all excited. The owner said, "What are you doing? 400 bucks for that frog?" The homeless guy laughed and said, "The hamster's a ventriloquist." <laughs> Some of you later will explain it to you. Uh, yeah. Do you know what he was willing to give up? Something that everybody else thought and had incredible value for something less. Why? Because he knew what was mattering and important. You and I know what's important. First John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, that's not from the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God, that one abides forever. We know what matters. We know what's important. And that's why when these outer things begin to fall apart, we look and say, but you know, we know what matters. And we don't let go because God does the amazing things. God does this in in a way that blows us away. C.S. Lewis in the book, The Great Divorce, has an interesting perspective on what heaven's like versus the world. Uh, It seems like many of us act like when we go to heaven, it's going to be like this kind of, you know, ethereal place, like ghosty and stuff. And C.S. Lewis says that's not what it is. He says where we live now, this is the shadow. Where you live now, you're the phantom. As a matter of fact, science interestingly knows that, that atoms are nothing but space. If we could see ourselves truly, you're nothing but a lot of space with just a little bit of matter made in it. And, and the reality is, Lewis says we're like these floating ghosts. But when you get to heaven, everything becomes real. Everything becomes solid. Everything becomes more beautiful. Everything becomes more amazing. And and we know that this world is passing away. This world is going to be gone. But what's coming is never going to pass away. And God says you can understand that. And so what do you live for? Do you live for what's going to pass or do you live for what's going to matter in the end? And when you live for the right way and the right perspective, amazing things happen. Jesus in John six twenty seven said, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. He says, I don't want you to live your life for things that don't matter and, don't, and that are wasted. Now, Now, we have to have homes, right? But our homes are going to fall apart, aren't they? You know what, Pam and I thought bought a house in Tucson, the first house we really ever owned, and we were so excited about it. And then about four years ago, we went to go see our old house. And guess what? It's an old house now. It's already fall, And we looked and thought, man, we would never want to live there again. But that, and, and, and you know what? That's going to happen to all the things around you. But what we need to, to cement ourselves on and hook on and, and live for and put energy into Is what matters. And that's what authentic Christians do. We don't let the other things get us down because we know it's all going to go in the end anyway. We know that the body is temporary. We know it's going to pass. This very body we have. Look what Paul says about that in 2 Corinthians now 5 verse 1. He says, For we know that if this earthly tent is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan long to be clothed with our own dwelling from heaven Inasmuch as as we having put it on will not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up. By life. Now, he who prepared you for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Now, grab hold of that. He says, I want you to know that right now, this body you have, no matter how much you love it and you ought to take care of it, it's really just a tent. But what I have for you is this amazing home you're going to live in. Uh, and when you're in heaven, uh, what you're going to be clouded in is going to be amazing and incredible. And, and we can't even understand how awesome it's going to be. By the way, it's going to be real. You're going to have your own individuality. But, but God says, as I renew you day by day, I'm preparing you to move into that. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, going camping in a tent is fun for just a little while. But to live in a tent on a long-term basis, I don't know if that would be fun. I just don't think, you know, I mean, clearly if we had to make the best of it, we could. Pam and I, we had an agreement one time. We were going to go on a family vacation. We were going to camp one night and stay in a hotel the next. So we camped one night and stayed in the hotel every single night after that. You know, I, she, she was like, no, I'm not going back in the tent. And I said, we had a deal. She said, no. And uh, you know why it was fun one night? But, but you know what God says, it's, that's what it's like. Don't be so hooked on the tent. It's decaying, it's, it's getting old, it's gonna go away. But what God has prepared for you is so much better, so much better. And, and, and he wants you to experience that. He wants you to have it. He wants that to be poured in you. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but you know sometimes some of us have bodies that work a little better than others. Uh, but the reality is, is, is one day it's all gonna change. I, this is what I'm about to tell you really is true. But uh, God brought into Pamela life years ago a girl named Karen. And Karen had a disease that just racked her body from the time she was born. She was barely able to move her head, barely able to uh, rock her body around. And yet she was an overcomer. Uh, her father and her mother stuck by her side constantly. They loved her to death. And by the way, if you got to know Karen, you would love her. And uh, what happened is they found a wheelchair that if she rocked herself enough, she could, she could kind of make her way through. And she ended up going to school going to high school, graduating with honors. She went to college, and, and with a tedious way of working, blowing a, and through a tube and moving her hand by rocking herself, she wrote every single paper. She didn't want any special privileges. And she ends up graduating from college. She was a crack up. Uh, uh, I uh, was going to take her to an event, and so the, the way she had to travel was very difficult. So we strapped her in the car, and then what happened is she had to kind of lay in the back seat. And so I'm going to drive her, and Karen and her dad say to me, they go, Chuck, you know what, you need to be careful. You have to slow down in a very, very easy way. You can't lurch the car or you'll snap her neck. I said, what? That's, they told me that as I'm getting ready to drive. And, and I said, you're kidding. They go, no, we're not kidding. I go, do you know how hard it is to drive like that? And I'm driving along, and I come up to a stop sign, and she goes, ow! And I look back, and she goes, I'm just kidding. And I'm just kidding. She was that way. And uh, then the disease took its toll. And uh, I went to visit her over and over again in the hospital. as She was fading away, and, and it was a very painful kind of way to go. And her mom and dad were with her, but no matter how much she hurt, she just kept encouraging all of us, and she kept praising Jesus. And uh, it, this really did happen. She's laying in her bed at Children's Hospital in Orange County, and her mom and dad are with her in the room, and all of a sudden, she opens her eyes, and she goes, Mom and Dad, I see Jesus. She goes, I see him. And she looked over, she goes, Daddy, I'm going to get to run. And then she passed away. She really did. And, and you know what? She, you know that, don't you? Don't you know the Lord said, now, Karen, you've wanted it so bad. And do you know her run will be more exciting than our run? Don't you think? Because she's never had it before. And she gets to do it for the first time to Jesus, with Jesus. God God says, I want you to know I'll take all those things you thought were so bad and I'm going to turn them to amazing good in a way you can't understand. And no matter how horrible it is, trust me, believe in me, let me work in you. Let me work in the situation. And in the end, amazing things are going to occur. That's why we're always of good courage. Look what it says in verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage. Did you catch that? If you're really an aesthetic walk, we're always of good courage. Therefore, being always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, I want you to grab the, the fact that the Bible teaches this and all that. We get asked this question all the time. When you die, where do you go? If you're a Christian, when you die, you're immediately in the presence of the Lord. There's no sleeping, there's no waiting, there's no like going to a, a holding place. You're immediately there. The Bible promises that to you. Now I'm not gonna go into what happens if you're not a Christian, that's not nearly as good. But, but for a believer, you're immediately caught into the presence of the Lord and you're transformed and you're renewed. And it says that when we see him, we'll, we'll be like him in that amazing transformation of what God's always wanted to occur is going to happen to you. Uh, uh, and when we get there, it's gonna be incredible. I don't know if you heard about the, the couple that was 85 years old. And uh, the, the man died. And uh, on the wife drove home. She went to her house and she died. They just loved each other so much. And they got to the gates of heaven together. And uh, the Lord looked at him and said, you're here. And they, the man said, yeah, we're here. And the Lord said, let me show you some things. And the guy says, what is that? And, and the Lord says, that's the mansion you get to live in. And as they're walking, their bodies transform. And they're not 85 anymore. They're in this glorious bodies. And the guy's never felt like this. And he looks at his wife, and she's transformed. And, and she's beautiful. And, and he walks in, and the cat it's just an amazing place. And the Lord says, I know you love golf. Look at your backyard. And he goes out. It's, he's got his own private golf course, better than Pebble. And he's looking at it all. And he turns around, and he looks at his wife. He goes, I am so mad at you. And the Lord says, you're not supposed to be mad in heaven. He goes, but Lord, if she hadn't fed me those disgusting bran muffins, I could have been here five years sooner. (laughs) I love that one too. Uh, (laughs) Philippians 121 says, to live is Christ for me. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So we don't want to hasten it beyond God's timing, obviously. But we need to understand. Uh, He goes, but I don't know which I would choose. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very much better. Very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. When uh, God takes us, he takes us. And uh, even if our outer man's the king, we don't lose heart. Uh, I'm about to tell you another, and I'm, I'm not kidding, this is a true story. Uh... Years ago, when I was at Christ Church, of the Valley as the youth pastor, uh, there was a girl in our group, uh, Nasa Mercado, and uh, I got to know her family real well. And I'll never forget that Nesa, who was so vibrant and so exciting and so moving, and one of the leaders in our ministry, all of a sudden I don't see her, and and I wish I could tell you I called right away to see what was up, but I didn't see her one week or the next week, and it seemed like it was forever. I And Pam and I went to McDonald's, and we're standing there, and I look over, and there's Nasa And I walk over, and I said, hey, I've missed you. She said, yeah, I had to be in the hospital a little bit. And I said, well, are you okay? She goes, well, I have lupus. But I didn't know what that was. And I didn't know how extreme her case was. And what happened is she had been battling this now for years. Her body saw its own organs as something to destroy. It just got out of whack. And she would have these flare-ups. Nasa lived almost always with pain, but if you had been around her, you would not know it. She was vibrant. She was fun. She was alive. She uh, went to Mount Sac, and her goal was to go to UCLA. She joined the track team. The doctor said, don't do it. Your body can't take it. She said, I'm going to live my life every second, and she did incredible in track. Well, she kept having flare-ups, and uh, what happened is I went to go see her at the Kaiser Hospital in Baldwin Park, and when I walked in, I went to the nurse's station. I said, "Uh, can you tell me where Nasa Mercado's room is? And they looked at me and they go, oh, we love her. They just, she would, they go, you know, we hate to say it, but whenever we see NASA's coming, we don't want to see her suffer, but she just makes this an incredible place. Well, it kept taking her and taking her and taking her until finally the doctor said, we want to do a, a pretty invasive surgery on you and we're going to open you up and try to do some repair on your heart or else you're not going to make it. But Nasa, you've only got about a 20% chance of making it through this. And uh, she looked at the doctor and said, well, I, I got a request. Uh, you're going to cut me open? He said, yeah. She goes, well, while you're doing the heart thing, can I have breast implants? <laughs> and the doctor said, what? She goes, well, yeah, you know. I." I and he goes, Nasa, do you know how serious She goes, yeah, but if you, can you do the two at once? I want to look good coming out. <laughs> and um, she didn't make it. I mean, this really did happen, too. The, all, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. You can talk. We're going to get Danny on film telling us her mom. But um, what happened is I got a call like 3 in the morning, and, and uh, her, her family called me, and they said, Chuck, get down here. She's not got much longer. And so I drove as fast as I could to Kaiser, Los Angeles, and got down there, and I'm running in the hospital and hit the elevator and go up, and when the door opens, there's the, her doctor standing there. He goes, quick, quick. You need to be in the room fast. The family's waiting. The room was filled with family and some friends, and I went in, and uh, Danny said, Chuck, we just need you to pray. And so I went over, and I put my hands on her, and I began to pray, and uh, I said, Lord, I pray you'd heal. And all of a sudden, Danny grabbed me. She said, Chuck, no more prayer for healing. It's time. Pray for us. We know where she's going to be. And I said, okay, Lord. And I said, Lord, please give comfort. Please And I just prayed and prayed for the family, and then I stepped back, and this really did happen. Danny leaned over her, and she kissed her, and she said, "Nasa, you can go. And all of a sudden, the machine went, and I looked at the doctor. I said, have you ever seen that? He said, I've never seen that. He goes, but I've never seen anybody like her. Well, what happened is um, her mom obviously was devastated. The funeral was an amazing funeral because we talked about her faith and who she was and where she went. And then her mom went and planted a rose bush in her honor. Uh, it was months later that she had met a man and they were becoming very romantically involved. She was rebuilding her life. And uh, they, they joined this kind of motorcycle group. And uh, they went out to dinner one night with a doctor who was in the group. Uh, and the doctor said, hey, I heard about your daughter. Can you tell me a little bit about her story? And so Danny told the story, but she ended by saying, but you know what? I know she's in heaven. And the doctor looked at her and said, no, she's not. And she said, What? He goes, no, there is no God. And this guy just started spouting this atheism with no hope, tearing it. I I thought the insensitivity when I heard about it, I couldn't believe. Well, she, she got real firm and she got emotional and she started to cry. And he goes, well, I guess we can't talk about it. She went home. She was so hurt and so angry that night. She got up the next morning and she walked out to the rose bush and she looked at it and she started to have some doubt. And she said, Lord, are you there? I mean, I, I don't want to doubt you, but if you could help me in this. Well, that next Saturday, they had planned to go to Laughlin together to see Roy Clark in concert, if you've ever heard of him. And uh, so what happened was they all gathered together to get ready to go. And this doctor goes, hey, you know what? I can get us comp rooms in Vegas and into a bigger show. Let's switch to that. And Danny thought, no. And something inside said, you've got to be in Laughlin. And so she looked over, and she said, no, 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 we've got to go to Laughlin. And everyone goes, no, no, Vegas would be better, and the rooms would be free. And uh, she said, you know what, you guys, you guys can go, but there's something telling me I've got to be in Laughlin. So they got on their motorcycles, and they all went inside. They decided they wanted to stay together, so they all went to Laughlin. They check in their rooms. They go to the Roy Clark concert. Uh, He uh, is just doing his show. He gets to the end of his show, and, and what happens is the show is going Danny looks over, and two tables over, there's this big cowboy with a big black hat, and he keeps staring at her. And she looks at her, her, her fiancé, and she said, this guy's staring at me. And he goes, I know, I know. You want me to say something to him at the intermission? She said, no, no, don't, but I don't know why he's staring at me. Well, then Roy Clark hits the part right before intermission, and he goes into a whole set of gospel songs, Christian songs. And he hits the ending and everybody cheers. He said, I'll be back in 15 minutes. And so everybody kind of stands and moves around and the drinks start coming out. And, And Danny's talking and all of a sudden she feels something grab her hand. And she looks up and it's this guy in the black cowboy hat and he has her hand. And she tries to get away, but he has it. Her fiance gets ready to stand up and he motions to him. And this man looks at her and says, Danny, Nace is in heaven. Nace is in heaven. Everything you believe is true. And he stepped back, and she looked in her hand. There was a stone there with some verses on it, Philippians uh, 3, 20 and 21. It's all it said. And she looked up to the guy, and he smiled, and she starts to cry. And people are all looking at this, and then they look around, and he's not there. Well, she jumps up to run and find him, so she can't see him. He's big. He should stand out. She ran over to the table that he had been sitting at, and, and she said, where is the man who was sitting here? And everybody at the table goes, nobody was sitting in that chair. It was empty the whole time. But everybody at her table had seen him. She's holding the rock and she runs to her room and she gets out her Bible and listen to what this says. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven... From which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's think about what she needed to hear. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Do you know how good that felt when she read that passage? And uh, when she got in town, she said, Chuck, you've got to see this stone. By the way, I had asked at one point, could I come and show it to you? And here's her answer, no. (laughs) She's never letting it out of her sight. But we are going to have her one day here, and I want you to hear a story from her. Do you know what? There is a God. You can read all the reasons for it and do all the study. I just want to tell you there is. And he loves you. And he wants to live a life where day by day he renews you. Day by day you get new strength. Day by day, new invigoration and vitality no matter what your body tries to do. And here's the good news for a lot of us. You ready? We're not going to have these bodies forever. I am so glad I don't have mine forever. But he is getting ready to welcome you into a life that's eternal and amazing. But the cool thing is we get to experience it now. So here's my question. Do you know him? Are you experiencing this life with him? Can you say today, I am in a relationship where day by day I'm experiencing him and his love. If you're not, I promise you this. He wants to do it with you. He wants you to experience him. He, want that, he There's not a person here. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if at one time you were with him and you've turned away. He wants you back. He couldn't love you more than he does. And how do we enter into this relationship? The answer is this. We pray. We enter in by praying a prayer of faith where we say in a believing way to God, I want to give my life to you. I want to live my life with you. I want to be yours. Let's pray together. Father, I know that you love every single one of us. And Lord, over the years, I've watched you do amazing things that are literally, they're so awe-inspiring, they take our breath away. Standing with Danny that day as she told me the story holding the stone, Lord, my, my heart leaped. Because you saw her hurt, you saw her concern, and you met them in a way that very seldom I've ever heard of. But I know that you want to meet all our needs. You want to touch us in ways that matter deeply to us. So I pray that we would never lose courage, never lose heart. And I pray we would live our lives knowing that no matter what comes our way, it works for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So may we let you, may we allow you, may we beg for you to work in us, to work through us, to work with us. Father, I ask now that your Holy Spirit would come in this room. Lord, I pray you would touch anyone today who needs to make a decision for you. That you would stir in their hearts. That right where they're sitting right now, they would know this is their time. Where they need to say that they want to give themselves to you completely. And maybe for some, they need to come back to you. So I ask now, Lord, that you would touch them. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, I'm going to ask you to pray for those who need to make a decision right now. But I'm going to lead a prayer where today you can tell the Lord, yes, I want this life with you and for you. And uh, what we'll do is just pray that prayer together. So today, if you want to commit your life to the Lord or recommit, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper this prayer with me. But I'm going to ask you to do this right now. Think about it. Is this your time? Are you ready to pray this prayer with me? And if you are, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you, if you're about to pray this prayer, would you just, right now, let us know you're going to do this by lifting your hand in the air so we can know that God's touching you. Praise God. That is so awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Right here, praise the Lord for you. For all of you, praise the Lord. So all of you that God's touching, let's just whisper this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me completely. I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. Fill me with your presence and make me new and alive and free. I want to be yours. And I want to be who you made me to be. And I want to live the life you have for me to live. So take me now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.